0: Episode 77, Christmas Just Started. Well, Merry Christmas to everyone. If you're a new listener, I take up different topics in each episode. We're on episode 77 now, but the first 23 episodes, episodes 1 through 23 of this podcast when we just started, those were intentionally ordered as an introduction to apologetics, starting with proofs for the existence of God, then proofs for the existence of the soul, then objective morals, and then... More specifically, proofs from Scripture about Catholic doctrine. So if you're interested in an apologetics course, that's how this begins. But after that, it's kind of uh, miscellaneous, whatever I, I feel like talking about. And today, we'll talk about how Christmas season just started, uh, you heathens, who have been celebrating it since the day after Halloween. And I mentioned this in the, my episode, The Meaning of Advent, that Advent, which ended with vespers of Christmas Eve or evening prayer of Christmas Eve, was a time for preparation and uh, penitence, much like Lent is before Easter. It's a slightly different way, but it's a penitential season, and it just ended on Christmas Eve, and now we celebrate Christmas. So a lot of people make the mistake, even, even Catholics, make the mistake of ending Christmas once Christmas Day is over, which is really the opposite of what you should do it's really important to live the liturgical life of the church to abide by the liturgical cycle and that means living both the feasts and the penitential times of the church because there's a because there's a lot of wisdom in that we have to trust in the wisdom of the church that has been living out the mysteries of christ over and over for 2000 years this goes for even the feasts of saints that's a really good thing to do to actually bring that into your home to live the feasts, to celebrate the saints, and also, of course, more importantly, to live the liturgical seasons, especially the liturgical seasons of Advent and Lent, which precede the two biggest feasts, the solemnities of the Church of Christmas and Easter. So this gives a a certain order to our spiritual lives and to our home life, rightly sanctifying various parts of the year, preparing our hearts and our minds for various occasions preparing us, disposing us to contemplate the various mysteries of Christ's life. But also another aspect is worth contemplating, and that is often I emphasize and have been emphasizing how Christmas happened. It's a historical event. It's a real historical event. Jesus was a real historical person. Well, he was a divine person, but you know what I mean. He was a real person in history, born 2,000 years ago in a particular place with particular surroundings. So it's a historical event. But also it transcends history. Now, what a lot of people of a liberal bent theologically say is that these mysteries, they transcend history in the sense that they don't belong to history. Well, that's not true, and that's not what I'm saying. Our Christian faith is rooted in history. If it didn't happen in history, then our faith is in vain. If Christ didn't come into this world, really, if he didn't die and rise from the dead, really, in history, then our whole faith is in vain. What I'm saying when I say it transcends history is that The mysteries of Christ's life are mysteries of the God-man. They are actions of not only a man, but of a divine person. And in that sense, they transcend history because a divine person is not bound by history. And for this reason, not just at Christmas, stepping back from Christmas for a second, just thinking about every Sunday Mass, or really every Mass, Christ really had his Last Supper and began his sacrifice and consummated it on the cross on a particular day in Jerusalem, right, 2,000 years ago. But every time we celebrate Mass, we aren't just remembering it. We're actually making it present again. The real sacrifice of Christ is made present sacramentally in mystery again. We're not just remembering it. So that's what I mean when I say it transcends history. Even though it was a man who died 2,000 years ago on the cross, it also was God who accomplished that action as well. And so it is something that is accessible to us across time. The same thing is true for Christmas, that we're not just remembering it, but we're actually making it present again, in a different sense, of course, than the Mass, but there's a sense in which it's also true that we are not just remembering the mystery, but living it again. Another aspect to this actions of Christ transcending history is that that's why we celebrate a Christmas season, or more immediately, the Christmas octave, in which every day of the octave, octave meaning eight days, is celebrated as Christmas Day with the same solemnity. Now not every day is a holy day of obligation. We don't go to we don't have to go to mass every day of the week although it's something you ought to do if you can. But every day is considered Christmas Day every day of this octave because the profound mystery and the incredible joy of Christ's birth in this world is such that it can't actually be contained by one day in history 2000 years ago. Not only is it celebrated annually, but also every year, that day is kind of spread out over eight of our days to show that this is something that really can't be limited and contained by one historical day. As we hear in scripture, a thousand years are as a passing day for for God. And that's what we mean here. When we celebrate an octave, it's to show that these mysteries transcend Our understanding transcend the limits of history. And so we celebrate them over extended periods of time to kind of imitate the eternal now that we expect, God willing, in heaven. So there's a special solemnity, of course, of Christmas Day itself. But we should also recognize the equal solemnity of the whole octave. And that during this octave, we ought to celebrate as if it is an ongoing Christmas Day and think about and contemplate the eternal now of heaven. And also, of course, the Christmas season extends even beyond this because there are certain other mysteries associated with Christ's birth. Christ's birth is seen as a revelation of God to all of the nations, Jews and Gentiles. We associate with them other things, such as the visit of the Magi, which is one of the things we celebrate at the Epiphany. But also at the Epiphany, traditionally at least, it celebrates three different events. The visit of the Magi, which is most what most people associate with it. Also, Christ's baptism, in which uh, God the Father declares that this is his beloved son. And thirdly, his first public miracle, which is the miracle of the wedding of Cana, when he turned all the water into wine. And so because all of these things are elements of God's revelation to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel, the Christmas season encompasses everything up until the Feast of the Epiphany, And even arguably extending beyond that to the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, because that, again, is one of the three events commemorated in the Epiphany, but it also enjoys its own separate feast. So this is why it's important to meditate on the theological meaning of the season of Christmas, because it encompasses so many things, and it's so rich theologically and historically, that if we just limit it to one day, or even just the morning of Christmas day, which is what most people do. You know, it's pretty typical for people to hear or for people to say, "Uh, so depressing that Christmas is over once they're done unwrapping the presents. And you can see, hopefully, with all of this other explanation, how superficial an understanding of Christmas that is. That that Christmas morning is just kind of the kickoff to the whole season of Christmas, which is filled with things to be celebrated and meditated upon. So I'll leave it there because I'll probably do episodes on those other events within the Christmas season. One last thing to note is that immediately after Christmas, we have other feast days. Today is the feast of the first martyr, St. Stephen, and that's not by mistake because as soon as Christ comes into the world, I mentioned in another episode that traditionally January 1st, so just a week after Christmas, was the feast of the circumcision. And the reason for that was not just because historically it would have happened a week later, but also because we are supposed to immediately contemplate why Christ came into this world, to shed his blood for us. That's the meaning behind the hymn uh, The Holly and the Ivy that I explained in, in the past episode. So St. Stephen, the first martyr who shed his blood for Christ, is celebrated the day after Christmas to remind us of that. And then you have the holy innocents who are celebrated uh, the day after tomorrow, again, martyrs. And you traditionally would also have St. Thomas Becket celebrated in this week, in this octave, Uh, after christmas so that's yet another thing to contemplate is we celebrate christ coming into the world but it's also tinged with the knowledge of why he came into this world just to suffer and die for us and so we imitate him in that and that's why we celebrate the martyrs so don't consider that christmas is over it's just beginning and celebrate accordingly both liturgically and uh, in your other celebrations with uh, libations and food etc the joy of christmas can't be contained by one day So it gives you an excuse to party. It's actually a theologically backed excuse to continue partying. So you're welcome. God bless. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief to have access to other content, including an extra episode each week and also a growing audio library of Catholic fiction and other works. God bless.